Hi everyone, welcome to the Right Angle Podcast. This is the podcast that focuses on the process of design, where each episode I will highlight one exceptional creative individual with unique perspectives and experiences within the world of spatial design through actual conversations about their design principles, philosophy, and process. I want to discover what makes each designer, artillier, and artist unique. I'm your host, Al Liu, an interior designer in New York City. In the world that celebrates influencers, The Right Angle will be a podcast that celebrates real designers who makes the industry what it is, and for listeners to get a glimpse into the true creative mind. In this episode of the Red Angle Podcast, I interview Jenny Bukovet, VP of Design at Lifehouse. Lifehouse is a group of contextual hotels with narrative, substance, and local-rooted restaurants and bars. In our conversation, we dive into Jenny's philosophy and process for developing a narrative for a physical space and bringing the narrative to not only the visual but also the other senses through food and beverage, scent, and music. Jenny also shares her journey from being an interior designer of the founding design team to the VP of Design in just three short years. At Lifehouse, she oversees the entire ongoing development of each location's expansion, from interior design and branding to food and beverage concept. Aside from interior design, Jenny is also passionate about pattern design, where some of her clients includes Saks Fifth Avenue, SBE Group, Kempinski Hotel. Heaven Magazine and Saint Laurent. Hi, Jenny. Welcome to the Red Angle Podcast. Hi. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course.、Um, so I always asking each guest on my podcast the same question to begin with. So can you tell us a little bit about you know your design philosophy and if is there any principle that you use while you do design? Yeah, so I think、um, personally, my philosophy is、um, kind of a blend between right and left-brained, and、um, I I really think good design is rooted in research, and that's actually something at Lifehouse that we say often、um, is that you know research is what differentiates the artist from the dilettante,、um, which means you know I think when there's research, there's a lot more depth to the stories you're telling、um, versus just kind of doing something for. Visual sake, or just doing it to make it look good,、um, you can kind of tell a story that's that's deeper. Do you think people who, let's say, do design without the research, do you considering that as design?、Um, that is a controversial question. Right. I want to hear your take on that.、Um, yeah. No. I mean, I still value decorating. I actually have a dear friend who's like a very amazing decorator and high end residential. So I don't think one is better. Than the other, but I do personally believe that you know when you are designing, there are a lot of factors at play, and you're you're kind of stepping back, you're understanding the goals of your client, you're understanding、um, the context of the space you're working in, and I think、mm-hmm. it's very multi-layered. It's not just like、um, you know slapping colors or fabrics on something. It's all very intentional, and I think to me that's what differentiates design from decorating. Yeah. And one thing I was looking up Lifehouse, right? So one thing that really interests me is that your the hotels where I have a tagline says hotels that tell stories. 
So can you explain that a little bit? Do you sort of like come up, do you come up with a story or does a team come up with a story? Like does a story related to the research you've been doing? Yeah, so I think by storytelling, what we mean is that, um, you know, we again go through a research process and for each hotel, we kind of dig into what the context is. So, you know, we look at the architecture of the property we're working on. Often we're doing renovation projects uh, so taking that architectural context and turning that into uh, this kind of house is what we call it. Um, and then, you know, the secondary layer, which is the social context of the neighborhood that we're in, um, really understanding culture and who kind of came before us so that we can respect that culture. And so that uh, kind of translates into this, uh, what we call the protagonist. So mm-hmm. uh, a kind of key character that we tell the story through their lens. Um, And then third, we have this kind of, you know, muse layer, which we call the spirit um, and is kind of meant to be like a departure from, you know, these other elements and brings in some kind of quirky or eclectic or like very unique aspect of the environment that we're working in. So, for example, um, you know, in Little Havana, we chose Afro-Cubanism to Mm -hmm. tell the story of, you know, this layer of Little Havana that's often not told. So, yeah, I mean, I think... Through that lens, we take our, our, you know, house protagonist and the spirit and kind of have a setting to make our design decisions from. Um, So, you know, we're not quite literally writing it on the wall, but we're having little moments that um, share that story. And why does the sense of like telling a story super important for Livehouse as a hotel brand? Um, I think, you know, I'll speak for the design team, but also on behalf of our CEO, Rami, who I work really closely with. Um, You know, I think it's really powerful to be able to tell a story. And I think um, people connect with that. I mean, Mm -hmm. stories have been told since the beginning of humanity Mm -hmm. um, to connect people. And so I think when you're able to do something that not only kind of disarms people and allows them to um, you know, feel like they're immersed in a story. I think you can also educate people through that. So, you know, the reference to Afro-Cubanism, you can kind of teach people about these layers of a community that, um, you know, they otherwise maybe wouldn't discover on their travels. So I think for us, that's the biggest part of making sure we're telling a story that we're not just kind of creating a cool or trendy hotel brand yeah. that's just visually compelling. Like we really want people to grow and learn and get immersed in these environments so yeah so when you say you're telling a story I think I heard that a lot you know almost like a lot of designers always say like I'm a storyteller you know so how do you actually tell a story how do you translate that into through visual right do you think like you have a specific way to do that or Lifehouse as a hotel have a specific way to do that yeah um, we basically treat it mathematically. We say, okay, we take 40% or whatever percentage of this house um, narrative and we'll make that percentage of our design decisions based on, you know, for example, if the house story is um, Victorianism, which is what our Lifehouse Lower Highlands in Denver was, um, we'll make, you know, a proportion of the design decisions through that lens. So what that means is, um, you know, if we're saying it's a Victorian industrialist, Um, abode and it's the spirit of wildflowers from the terrain of Denver. We'll take, you know, in a design, we'll do a portal in the space that is a reference to Victorianism um, and Victorian architecture, or we'll do fluted glass that speaks to this Victorian aesthetic uh, 
you know, or we'll show the spirit of this, this um, industrialist and their joy for wildflowers um, by creating a food concept that is called wildflower. And we have um, kind of wildflower, you know, mementos hidden throughout the space. Um, to tell the story of the industrialist, we'll design a wallpaper that has, you know, these very tiny industrialist Victorian mm. <laughs> figures hidden yeah. in the landscape of That's um, cute. the terrain. And so we're able to kind of do it in a way that I think, you know, we're always making sure it's not cheesy. Like we're not like putting figurines right. everywhere. But, <laughs> Definitely. Um, like I think it's it's more fun too. And I've always done that in my design and like illustration. I've always loved to like hide little things that yeah. people find, whether it's like a quirky object that feels maybe out of place, but once you hear the story, you're like, oh, that's so cool, you know, like yeah. it, it ties to this. And so I think it you can have fun and and be playful with it. Yeah, it sounds very playful, almost like something hidden that you kind of have to like work your way and to discover it through, you know, walk through the space. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's like there's wit in it that is meant to engage certain types of consumers who may be mm-hmm. your life house. We've been really thoughtful about like who is our consumer and, and we want this psychographic of people who appreciate depth. You know, I know I totally agree. The word story and storytelling is so overused. Mm-hmm. So. I feel like half the people who use it doesn't know what it means. Yeah. Yeah. We tell a story. But um, no, I mean, I think we've had a great response to the fact that we're quote unquote telling narratives, um, which is actually what we call it instead of the story, um, which obviously means the same thing. But, you know, we've had a lot of guests and consumers react very positively because they have had that depth to respond to and it's engaging and they're like wow I'm, I, every time I come back I'm discovering something new yeah that sounds really fun and uh, I always love interior space that has this depth of you know detail and I want to go back to something you said earlier about you know you also took the narrative to food mm-hmm. so does that means the stories Lifehouse created for each hotel also go beyond the visual Correct. So yeah, we, um, is that we do everything in-house. So, you know, a lot of brands are moving towards that, but, you know, we have everything integrated from our interior design to our branding, to our food and beverage concept development, Mm -hmm. all of our procurement, um, which typically those things are all outsourced to different groups. Um, We have a technology team that's based in Montreal. It's building proprietary software uh, for management, so all of our management for the hotels. Um, So yeah, I mean, we have a lot under one roof. And I think when that happens, you're able to really go deep with the story. And so uh, I'll stick with the Denver narrative since I already explained it a little. But for Denver, you know, we took that wildflower concept, um, the spirit, and infused that into the culinary menu. So, you know, we have cocktails that are like in a cloche and have these beautiful dried herbs coming out and are telling the stories of, you know, the different uh, flowers of the terrain and we even went so far as <laughs> creating a narrative um, the figure for our restaurant is Marigold de la Rosa and so you created that person yes wait go with me here I'll explain okay, okay. <laughs> the um, the whole culinary menu is based on the history of the neighborhood so mm-hmm. you know, Lower Highlands previously had a um, large Italian community and also a large Mexican community. And so we wanted to tell the story of those flavors through the menu, 
um, but also, you know, respecting the terrain and, and the wildflower um, of the local community. And so Marigold, which is a flower, and Rosa, which is a flower, kind of bring in our Spanish and Italian um, through that. So we just, uh, you know, and we, we don't actually put her necessarily at the forefront, but we, you know, did the logo and it's this woman riding a horse and she has the flowers coming out of her head um, and that's Marigold. And so, yeah, just talking about, you know, her journey and like the types of herbs and ingredients she picked up from her family in Italy and then down in Mexico and um, kind of bringing that full circle mm -hmm. into the type of food that we're serving. Yeah, that's actually super interesting. And it reminds me how, you know, actor and actress always, you know, create a backstory of the character they are playing so they can emphasize the emotion and helps them to get into the role. So do you see it as a similar analogy? Yeah, absolutely. And as we've gone through our brand building, we have used that terminology similarly. I have never been in theater, so I... Mm -hmm. um, I've never had that experience, but I, on our team, people have, and it's definitely a very similar process. Yeah. So do you see, you know, interior design overall, especially hospitality, or I guess commercial or included, is moving towards this holistic approach? Yeah, I think absolutely. And I think it's been happening for the last, like, few decades, really. Um, I think some firms have done it really well, like Avrico. Mm -hmm doing it for a long time and for sure I'm interested to see how it evolves with technology because I think we're going to start seeing more um, and these are things we're kind of playing with at Lifehouse but more of the built environment and virtual environment kind of fusing together and what does it look like with social media and I just things are happening so quickly uh, that and of course with COVID has kind of shifted things hugely but yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely going to continue to become even more fluid. Yeah. And, you know, we talk a little bit about your conceptual like side of design. So I want to get into the process a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So what's your so like design process like? Uh, you know, we do go through that process of creating the house, we, which is our setting. We, you know, go through the protagonist exercise. We go through the spirit exercise. Um, and from there, we create that formula that we use to finish our concept narrative phase. Uh, from there, and that's about a two-week process for every project. And then from there, we hand off that uh, scope or rather loop in our branding team. Um, so creating you know, every touch point for the space from the scent to the key card to you know, the food and beverage concept while we're designing so that everything uh, is kind of fluid and all works together. And so while we're working on the schematic design phase, which includes, you know, our 3D renderings and materiality and furniture selections, all of that, uh, you know, standard kind of schematic scope, our team is also developing that other part of the project. So it's all working together. Mm -hmm. And then um, we go into pretty typical process of just documenting everything. Right documentation drawings. Um, we do a lot of custom furniture. So, you know, a lot of furniture drawings. Um, we have created a kit of parts for our brand that I think is pretty interesting. And, you know, our project timelines are extremely fast compared to what I was used to in the past. Interesting, even faster. 
Correct. So I've been pushed very um, hard, and which I'm grateful for because it forces you to kind of get creative um, by, you know, Rami and our development team to come up with ways to deliver our projects faster to owners. So how fast? Because like I feel like normally when we're at Rockwell is already pretty fast. Yeah. So I think at Rockwell I was working on projects that would go anywhere from like 22 weeks to maybe 36 weeks, um, and that includes you know very robust rendering studies and and drawings. Um, we've expedited that down to anywhere from 16, well. 14 to 18 weeks. We've been able to do that because we actually brought a 3D rendering team in-house. Um, so we have amazing renderers, they help us, that expedites things. Um, we've figured out how to draft way more efficiently. Um, you know, and we've come up, because we have development in-house, we are able to procure and create specs and kind of work super quickly together. Yeah. We are on under one roof. Uh, well, we were, but on Slack together now. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, we're able to work super efficiently. I think there have there were frustrations in the past where you know you go through all of this value engineering because you don't have a budget up front or right. these different parts of the company or not the company parts of the brand aren't talking to each other because everyone's outsourced. So I think it's been kind of life changing for me to recognize wow we can actually work from a budget from the beginning.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, that must be good. Yes, and it's it's funny because I work with you know obviously we have many departments so our finance team and development was always shocked that I would say like I really never had a budget in the past or we would have them but they're kind of vague so then we would go through all this value engineering and it really it kind of demoralizes the design team but it also is not it's very wasteful for the owner and so be productive and work from a budget upfront know that what you're showing is not going to have to go through months of correction. Why is that? You think、uh, previously to Lifehouse that people don't show budget? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think there are different calibers of projects, and so if you're in a super luxury environment, which a lot of the Rockwell projects are, it does make sense. I think sometimes in that situation to allow the team to get really creative and then pull back from there.、Um, I think just given that what we're doing with Lifehouse is working on a pretty intense budget. That's been really great for me. You know, I'm I'm a believer that creativity with boundaries is really effective because I think if you don't have something to start from, you're often stabbing at the dark, and it kind of like where to start. Then you know, high or low, like to have a place to start. I think that's just helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And when I look at a website, the location for each house. It's not the most, you know, busiest area in each state or city you guys are in. So, could you tell us a little more about what's the rationale behind that? Yeah. So, I think because we value finding the nuance of like a new community so compelling, and that's a huge part of our process. We've kind of ended up in. Maybe more undiscovered neighborhoods, and so, for example, Bushwick or you know Little Havana in Miami, which was our first project.、Um, you know, we're able to really tell a story in a new community that like has never even had a hotel. Little Havana has never had a hotel.、Um, you know, Bushwick has hotels, but not really any boutique hotels. So, yeah, I mean, I think for me that's been interesting.、Uh, you know, we. 
are in these large cities, you know, New York City and Miami, but able to tell another version of that story versus having to be you know, Times Square or. And can you go to a little detail about how you developing those unconventional location? Um, we never want to come into a neighborhood and like stamp Lifehouse on it. I think mm-hmm. our goal is always to like grow with the neighborhood and understand who came before us and really engage them and make sure that you know we're buying their products for our restaurant and, and the local mushroom purveyor mm-hmm. in Denver um, is you know in and out every two days and supplies for our menu and and really you know working with locals for Little Havana we um, had a edible herb garden on the roof for one of our concepts worked with a local company for that um, you know we we try to also share with that community by having our off-site programming at some of their locations so you know, we'll have experiences for guests where they can, you know, go off property to, you know, little Havana, for example, we had uh, monthly cultural walks down Calle Ocho, which is like the hub of that neighborhood. So I think really through food and beverage and programming, we're able to make sure that, you know, we're still engaging that community. Yeah. And as a designer, how's the experience between working in-house and versus, because I know previously you working at uh, Rockwell, and you have also worked at Avrico, so it's like two biggest design agency, right, in the hospitality world. So how is the, the experience are uh, between in-house and in- agency side? Yeah, I mean, I think both are very valuable, and mm-hmm. I'm super grateful for where I had the opportunity to work um, before this. I think it taught me so much about, um, obviously, design, but working with clients and also the nuances of um, the different parties in a development project and all the different layers. And I think when you learn how, you know, the top tier firms are working, um, you not only learn, but I think you're able to see opportunities for growth and like ways to improve and innovate on process. And so uh, that's been super interesting for me being at Lifehouse. I think now, you know, I've been here three years and Kind of helped build from the ground up and so obviously have strong connection and kind of ties to the brand and you know i think for me right now being in-house is probably best for my personality and my mm-hmm. like how i like to create because i like to be involved in all parts of the process i think if you're someone who kind of likes to stay in one lane and and stick to that that an agency is better, but I think being in-house is great because you can not only touch the space, you can touch the uniforms and ongoing programming and what is the music playlist and what scent right. diffusing and all of these layers that to me tell, again, I'm going to say the narrative, um, but not only just tell that narrative, but create a compelling experience. And I think often when you design a project and you hand it off to an operational group, um, things shift and they should. I think it should always be livable, a space. Um, but sometimes you lose the soul of something when it's, when you're not operating it. So I really love the process of also being a part of the operational team. Yeah. You mentioned you guys also develop scent. So I'm super interested in that. Like, do you have someone in house where you actually work with someone local who develop a particular scent for a particular house? Yeah, so we have one brand scent, and it's been 
a long process for anyone who's made a scent. I'm smirking just because I'm, I'm sure it's super difficult, challenging. Um, yeah. And we've gone through um, many rounds. So yeah, it's been really cool though, I think, because there are so many ways you can go with scent. Um, but we've, yeah, we've developed one for all of our LifeFast properties. And I think we're going to stick to one for now. So while making it, it was very intentional that it, one feels familiar between all of the houses, but also is flexible. We have locations in Nantucket, but also in the mountains in Colorado. So balancing different climates and vibes. Yeah. And how did you transition to LifeHouse? Like, how did you starting to think about, okay, like I want to be more like in-house or is like a totally random opportunity for you when you transition? Yeah, it was honestly completely like um, unexpected. I was walking to the kitchen one day and one of my old colleagues <laughs> um, had just, you know, gave his notice and I said, hey, good luck. Where are you going? And um, he had mentioned, you know, two of the guys, Rami, I've mentioned, our CEO and our head of development had been at Seidel Group, which is a company I had always looked to as like really interesting um, brand. You know, they create beautiful projects and so was intrigued and just kind of kept asking him, okay, tell me more. And um, so I ended up joining him over at Lifehouse and we did the first two projects together and kind of built out the team. Um, he's no longer with us. He ended up moving to the West Coast, but I don't know. I've, any career opportunity I've had has always kind of gone that way. Um, yeah. I'm grateful for, but I think it's been, it definitely was a risk to leave. I mean, I had, you know, a great situation. I really loved my boss there, Greg Keffer, um, who was awesome and, you know, had really cool projects at that time, was working, like, had the opportunity to meet Ian Traeger and, like, these, you know, it's an amazing firm. And so it was a huge risk for me, but I just felt like, like, why not try, you know? Right. <laughs> it's definitely a risk because not every, you know, startup brand survived after a year. So what makes you want to, okay, let's try this. Why not? For me personally, um, it might seem that I take a lot of risks, but I actually pretty calculated. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you can take calculated smart risks. I think, um, you're never going to know how things play out, but I guess for me, there were enough people at the brand already at the young age of the brand who I felt were compelling, you know, smart um, people with good taste. Yeah. And so I actually saw a rendering that someone pulled out, a previous rendering and then one that was fixed by this team of people. And I thought, okay, they get it. And I, I just was like, you know, I'm going to take this jump. And I, these seem like people who know, know what they're doing. Everyone's really young. Well, generally young who we work with or we're working with at that time. And so I thought, why not try this? I'm like in my mid twenties or late twenties and you know, now's the time for me to try something new. So. Yes. So even though that's like a risk, but you have evaluated, it wasn't completely just like like going there as like a lottery. Yes, for sure. And I think you can tell a lot by people and mm -hmm. um, their tenure. You know, I'm also not someone, I've never tried to like build my resume per se. I think yeah. opportunities have come where I've 
been appreciative to work at great firms, but I think you can get to the root of things by asking people tough questions and understanding their goals. And so I think that's really important when you're interviewing somewhere to like make sure not only it's a good fit for them, but a good fit for you and definitely fits your goals. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. And, you know, going back to your time at Lifehouse. So you went from interior designer to creative director to VP of design. So like all within three years. So you really move up very quickly. How was the transition like? <laughs> um, it's been good. I'm not going to lie that it's been a challenge. Um, I think that it's easy to look at a resume and be like, oh, that's so cool. Um, like that happened really fast. But I also, in a startup, it's very different than like a corporate title system. So, you know, I joined with um, my former colleague who I mentioned, and then he moved on and, you know, our CEO took a risk and was like, you try leading the team. And so I'm very grateful for that opportunity. Um, and ended up working out, I guess. <laughs> and then, mm -hmm. um, kind of as we've grown, we've I took on more scope beyond just interior design because I think in a startup there are often uh, a lot of things to do, and if you just put your hand up and say I'll do it, um, no one else is going to do it. Then you kind of start taking that on, and so yeah, I mean I spent like two years being quote unquote creative director lead with design, but just because it was also interconnected and um, leading all of our branding and helping with food and beverage concepts and the scent and all of those things, um, which was great experience. And so, yeah, I mean, I think, again, like I would say to anyone looking to like move up quickly, quote unquote, don't do it just for a title, because I think that um, it's not really going to make you happy. I think for me, it was like I was learning so much and was given great opportunities to like learn how to lead and right. grow. And so I was like, why would I not do this? And how's your day to day sort of like different now and then? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a lot more managerial than mm -hmm. when I started. Um, so writing budgets and getting contracts signed and yeah, taking care of HR related things with my team and all of that, um, which I really value personally. I think I have really amazing, talented designers on our team. Um, and I think it's interesting. I've talked to friends about this, but it's in the design world, the higher up you get, the less you design. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Ironic. Um, but I think if you're someone who really values people and likes watching them grow, like it's very rewarding. So I've seen people on our team grow so much. And like, for me, that's rewarding. And I've always been like, you know, open-minded to an intern can have a better idea than the principal. Your seniority doesn't mean one idea is better or worse. I think that when you're open-minded with a team, you create a better product. Yes, totally agree. And I also know that, you know, besides interior design, you also do fine art and patterning on your own. So how did you get started on that? Yeah, so that was uh, really just kind of me painting for fun. I wanted to be an artist when I was younger. I still paint a lot, like personally for fun. And I, I actually painted a wall covering for a nightclub in LA. 
and I was taking a sample home one day and my roommate, she actually was leading creative for Saks Fifth Avenue. Mm. And she saw the wall covering. She's like, oh my God, you paint? Can you <laughs> make us like packaging? And I was like, sure. Um, so it was kind of organic and I've never like sought out trying to do patterning professionally. However, I think it, again, to like the fluid comment is so interwoven with what we do as designers. You know, we're constantly making prints and selecting fabrics and art so often. And this is something I've like really pushed with our Lifehouse team um, is us curating art. And often, you know, I have a guy on my team, Lay, who's a very talented artist and he's the one who painted that wallpaper in um, Denver. But, you know, we're sometimes doing the art ourselves and I think that makes it feel that much more special and we're in the minute details. Yeah. So I really interesting to know. So what do you think the industry, interior design industry going to go, especially for hospitality, like after, you know, COVID? Yeah. So I think in the near term future, and this is more hotel acquisition growth, mm-hmm. first line, but I think that a lot of Travelers are shifting towards these drive-to markets. Obviously, now we can't go abroad. Um, And I think people are starting to pare down and enjoy nature more. We're going to see a lot more hotels that are more immersive and kind of privatized. Like, I I think, you know, there are these small structures that, you know, exist within nature versus your hotel being 200 rooms on top of each other. They're spread out over a landscape. Um, And... Yeah, I think that will definitely happen. Um, I also think that people are going to become a lot more mobile. I am a believer that COVID, of course, was tragic for many reasons, but also expedited things that were already happening. Um, and I think that we were moving towards a culture of people, you know, getting rid of their lease and, you know, moving around. And I think the hotel is going to start to look more like a living space than a hotel. I think people are going to start staying places longer. I think they want to be more mobile and they're able to be now. Um, And I don't think we're going to be going back to offices full time. I think, you know, businesses, if they're smart, recognize how much money they're saving. And and not to say that it's all money. I do think there's a huge part of human connection that is missing. And like, I think that's an interesting thing to think about for business leaders. Like, how do you keep your team engaged and kind of connected um, without physical. And I think that comes back full circle to like why physical space is so important is that it brings people together. And so I don't think that offices will go away without humans still craving connection, which makes me believe that hotel hospitality will become even more, you know, kind of important. Yeah. If they sort of like creating more human connection through each hotel or each space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I have one last question for you, which I always ask my guests in the end. So looking back, were there a moment or factors in your life that help you to be where you are right now? That's purely because of a chance or luck. I don't necessarily believe in luck. Um, and I know we've talked about the risk theories that I have. Um, I do think your upbringing has a lot to do with how you think. And so you know, I had the opportunity, my parents took us to Tokyo to live when I was five through eight years old. And obviously, that, um, you know, and after that, I moved to Dallas. So very dramatically different. 
And so that was very, I think, pivotal for me as a human, young human. Um, I think it opened my mind to being open-minded and making sure that I'm not just thinking in one frame of mind. And that's really helped me, I think, make sure I have that margin where I am open to opportunity. And I think that's helped me get where I am today. Um, and just valuing other types of people, you know? Yeah. We only need to be the same. We don't all have to think the same or believe the same thing, but um, making sure that I value that helps build connections that I think are genuine versus just trying to connect and network for the sake of growing your own uh, self. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, in the end, I always ask my guests or like five short questions because mm -hmm. I'm always curious what, you know, other designers or creatives like. So the first one is, what's your favorite book? I haven't been reading that much lately, which I should be. Um, my all-time favorite book might be The Alchemist. It's um, kind of like a mystical book about this guy's journey. He um, has a vision and is a young guy and basically is told, like, your life's calling, your treasure is at the pyramids. And in Egypt. And so he spends the whole book like trying to get to the pyramids and all these things keep happening. He keeps getting robbed and he's like falls in love. But then the lover says, you know, we can't be together until you find your treasure. And then he gets to the pyramids and the fortune teller basically says your treasure was where you were in that barn when you had that dream. And I, don't know, I just like the symbolism of that, that like you can strive and stress to arrive somewhere and lose along the way, you lose your money or your lover or whatever. But what you were looking for was already like mm -hmm. where you were. Yeah. I love that. Um, do you have a favorite hotel, you know, outside of Lifehouse? Um, I have brands that I, I like and value. I would say for personal travel, I like staying in smaller, like, I don't know. My, I think my favorite experiences have been not in big brand hotels um, or like obscure locations. I think like I stayed at a lovely um, hotel that was like tucked into a cliff in Ravello in the Amalfi Coast for my best friend's wedding. And that was amazing. Um, I think because the family was like cooking for us and mm. really felt like an immersive, like you were in someone's home, not a hotel. Yeah. Um, or maybe I stayed in a safari lodge in Kenya. That was pretty cool. But it, I don't know. I'm not really like a brand person, which is funny because I work for a brand. Style brand. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's what keeps me curious and like helps build hotels that feel rooted versus like cookie cutter brand. Right. And what's your favorite design element that sort of you use all the time? I did not. Well, I guess I've realized it, but... I didn't realize how much I love using foliage, like floral patterns, um, until press was like, oh, floral patterns everywhere. I'm like, okay, I guess that's a thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think using elements of nature, not think, it's psychologically proven, like, you know, is restful for people. Um, so maybe I'm doing it subconsciously, but it also kind of has intention and I think disarms people when you use greenery and earth tones and um, floral. 
And where is the most fun places you've been before? That's a hard question too. I have multiple answers to all of these questions. Sure, give me all the answers. <laughs> no, I love, I love being on the water. I I moved to the ocean temporarily um, during COVID, but I love being on boats. I think my dad's a sailor, so being on a boat with him is very restful.、Um, being on a boat in the Amalfi Coast is probably the best boat ride I've been on. So, so in the end, how do you decompress? I think. Right now, what it looks like, just given the state of the world,、um, you know, I moved from New York down to Miami for a bit, so I go on a lot of beach walks. I think the ocean is very calming for me. I'm not a water sign, but humbling to see how small you are in front of the ocean, and so that grounds me.、Um, and then I think I mentioned, but I, I like to paint, so I set up like a little studio on my balcony,、mm. trying to paint more. Yeah. Relaxing for me. I'm、uh, enjoying it now. Yeah, that's great.、Um, you know, this being really fun. You know, to catch up with you,、um, and I really appreciate you know you taking time and talk to me, and just really thank you for coming to the Red Angle Podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Red Angle Podcast. If you like this episode, subscribe and review us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can stay connected with us through Instagram at the Red、right、Angle Podcast, or reach out to me personally at Elo Design. I linked everything about my guests in the show notes, so please go check it out. Thanks again for listening, and see you guys next Wednesday.